This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by PayPal. These days, choices are everywhere. Like, for instance, the milk in your coffee. Would you like it from a cow? A nut? A tree? Everyone wants options. And now your customers have a new option in the way they pay. With PayPal in person. Just generate your unique QR code in the PayPal app for them to scan. And start accepting PayPal in person today. Learn more at paypal.com slash US slash get QR code. Hello and welcome to episode 128 of the Washed Up Emo podcast. I am Tom Mullen from washedupemo.com. Today, we welcome Susie Ulrey from the band Pogo. I first heard about the band when they were on the first volume of the Emo Diaries compilation. They were everything I wanted in a band when I was playing music back in the day. True story. Recently, Susie and I met up in New York City to chat and we discussed her upbringing in Florida, getting into the scene her crush on Brent with a bowl cut, and why a community is so, so important early on. We also chat about her living with MS and the many challenges that's brought to her daily life and trying to continue to make music. Speaking of new music, they've got some coming, so look out for that from Pogo. Really, really stoked that Susie took the time to come on the show while she was having fun in New York City. Finally, thank you to the Patreon supporters. It means a ton that you were part of this podcast. It makes it happen every single month. So thank you so much. This is episode 128 of the Washed Up Emo podcast with Susie Ulrey from Pogo. I think it's at first to mention that you were the Pogo yeah. last track on Emo Diaries 1. We were. That is some that is some royalty. We that was a game changer for us. Yeah. Did because, you know did you know it at the time? Um we were excited, you know. We Did, did we you were, know the other bands on it? Yeah. Yeah, at that point, yeah. We were like I think I think the big one for us was Sam I Am. We were like, "Oh, holy shit. Sam I Am's going to be on this comp. This is really exciting." And I mean, that's what got us got our stuff over to Europe and Japan and stuff. It hadn't been for that, you know. I don't think anyone would know. Yeah, you know. Do you remember them reaching out? <sighs> Who uh, Deep Elm? Yeah, yeah. We were actually um, okay. <laughs> well, we were gonna sign with them, but um, then we broke up. Um, but we had still agreed to do this comp and. He still wanted the song. So we were like, okay, let's do it. You know? So you had said no to the label or you had broken up already? We were, well, we had said yes. We had, you'd said yes. But just timing, you know? Yeah. Um, everything happens for a reason. So 
Yeah, but we still did the comp, and I'm really glad that we did because it got our name out there, you know? Yeah. Because not a lot of people know who we are, you know, because we weren't around for that long. When that came out, I forget when I heard it. I probably, I don't even know if I remember getting the first one or the second. I can't remember which yeah. one kind of led me down that trail, but that mm-hmm. was an early way to learn about bands. Yeah. And so when it came out, like I was actually, I, we were on, I was on a band that was on the seventh yes, one. Yes. Yes. I remember that. All we got was 60 CDs <laughs> and <laughs> a thank you. Yeah. Did you guys, you know, what, were you given a bunch of them or? You know, this is going to sound terrible. I don't remember. If you, I, I, I think, think that's the most said <laughs> word other than I hate the word emo. I think that's, yeah. I don't remember the other uh, word. I don't mind the word emo. I'm thankful for it. I'm you know, kidding. no, I mean, but I mean, all of everybody's emo, you know, yeah. I think that, I think that the, that term talks about more of a spirit, you know, the DIY spirit than a certain, because every song's emotional. Celine Dion's an emo singer when she beats her chest when she's singing. That's pretty emo, mm-hmm. you know? How many shows have you been to where you've seen guys at the front? Yeah, yeah. Their chest, you know? So, yeah. So for that, but I was going to go back to the complex. So the, was there anything that came from it? Was there any, did you reach out to the other bands on it? Was there any camaraderie between it? Or it was like, we because that was, there were a lot of comps and split seven inches and in those mm-hmm. at the time. Mm-hmm. Like, Tons, Was yeah. there anything that came from that other than, obviously that CD was in other places around the world? No, and I don't think we really saw any of the the positive stuff from it because it was all posthumous you know i think like it was years later when you know i think someone from alternative press said something about the song and tweeted about it and i was like what people know about this song still you know like it's a thing people know about it so i guess we did have impact but we never really got a chance to network with any of the bands because we weren't doing anything anymore yeah so i mean it's just a cool list i mean lazy cane sam i am jejune triple fast action i don't remember red level Mm-mm. at all camber and obviously jimmy world yeah being the the uh the masters of that one <laughs> yeah for sure uh, but uh, the, you know that was kind of think a lot of people including myself found out about you guys from that mm-hmm. yeah um and yes it was you know posthumous it was after mm-hmm um, so we can go, we can go way back. Cause, uh, was it w- starting in l- listening to music for yourself? Do you, do you remember those first few bands or things that started to turn toward independent and <sighs> less than what was on the radio? Uh, yeah. I mean, well, my sister is three years older than me and she was always into like mainstream alternatives. So, you know, like YouTube and excess stuff like that. Um, and, um, so I met, someone in junior high school and we became best friends and she had an older sister that did the same thing, you know, and introduced her to music. And then we started making mixtapes for each other. And then I had a crush on this skater named Brent. Of course you did. Teenage fan club. Oh yeah. Where is he now? (sighs) Brent, where are you? He's, (sighs) he was high a lot then. So who knows where he is now? I mean, most skaters were high a lot, but he had, he had a bowl, then he had a little bowl cut, you know, baggy shorts, vans, and he had bandwagon esque, and that was the first like for ish. Yeah, I mean they were. It was still a major label, you know. But embarrassingly, after that, I wanted to start playing guitar. But the way I started doing it, me and my best friend, there was a record store that I'm not a music store, not a record store called Paragon, and they had Paragon Rock School. And we went what, to rock what, school. What, what town was this? In Tampa. 
Yeah. So you had a rock school in yes. the 90s. Mm-hmm. Hey, that's still, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah. So we, then we met this guy, Kyle, and we formed a little pop punk band. And then she started dating him and then they broke up and it was all very tumultuous Ooh. and dramatic. Yeah. Um, but at, when he came into the band, that's when I started getting into like bad religion, all descendant stuff like that. And we, we did these random covers. We would cover like R.E.M. and the Pixies and Bad Religion. And that would be our show because you would practice all semester and then you'd have a concert. Of course. You know. And then after that, you know, we had a couple of lineup changes, you know, from the 15 and 16 year old group. And uh, <laughs> life choices. Yeah. Yeah. It's big, big, big uh, substance abuse problem, you know, being 15. <laughs> so. Someone else joined the band and we became this pop punk band and we played all these all ages and venues that we could play. There was this place called the Brass Mug and there was this place called the Stone Lounge and that's where I met Keith and there was there was this band called Pogo and they had this singer who was a firecracker, just totally gregarious. She didn't play any instruments. She was the she was the front woman, you know, and that was the first tour like they toured in 95 and they that's when they first started booking all the shows with like book your own fucking life and getting to know all of the the punk and hardcore bands and we just fell into that scene probably because Keith and Brad were the oldest and they were into all that hardcore stuff you know from the from and the that's mid-80s. Where you were your connections yeah yeah and it, that was pretty commonplace actually in the 90s to have you know a girl fronted prettier sounding band with some like straight edge hardcore bands because that was just the scene it was all ages diy everyone's welcome you know and i think that that fed our or informed how we chose to proceed with touring and stuff you know and and keith basically took it from there so she quit obviously (laughs) um and then they asked me to join in january of 96 and then we were only a band until like march of 97 wow that was it so our life was very short there were a lot of releases though if, right we it was did. like a ton of split seven inches well the first version of the band did the the three-piece suit three-way comp with discount and who else was it I can't combination remember. gray combination gray yeah and then they put out a seven inch and then we did a seven inch with a record label in germany heartfelt right yeah heartfelt and then we did the split with we did the split with Braid and we were so shocked. We went through like five or six pressings. Wow. That's like hands down our biggest selling record. Because we we it's New Renata, which at that time was just a collective. Yeah. Um but the first the first um pressing has a stamp on the inside of Pooh and Piglet and it says it's better with it's always better with two. And if that, if anyone has that, that's the first ah. press. And then every press, we did a different colored paper to differentiate. But that was kind of like a, it's a huge moment for us in the scene, you know. So, yeah, to do that. That's cool. Yeah. So, but but punk rock and that time period. It's funny you mentioned that time period. At the same time, I had a band. I had to have a girl singer. <laughs> we sounded like um, Texas. The reason. Yeah. Uh, and Jejune. That was pretty much the how we sounded which yeah. was exactly what was what was happening at yeah. that moment but yeah. i like, kind of like that that 
it was I don't know it was different than so much of the hardcore stuff that I'd been listening to Mm -hmm. yeah and I mean I think that if you asked us who our main influences were we would say versus Superchunk, Ida, Velocity Girl Um, but because of the hardcore influences with post, it was really more post hardcore with, yeah. with Keith and Brad is when came in that we worked in more of the melodic heavier stuff, you know, and that's when we started getting, you know, lumped into that scene, which was fine with me. Lumped. You know? Yeah. Good word. I'm joking. Well, <laughs> there weren't many of us. Um, <laughs> I mean, I know as far as, and I mean, just females in bands, there was, how many like can you think of not many in the 90s in no. the in the scene in that know? scene yeah not many um, beta minus mechanic Raina maria jay june um discount and there's a bunch more the people are yelling through their their phones <laughs> yeah, right now Tracy yelling Wilson at us is like me 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 yeah. i can't think of her band name right now i'm drawing a blank but again it wasn't as it wasn't a lot no no and and for me, it was just, it wasn't, I didn't want to be separated. I just wanted to fit in, you know? That's all I wanted. I didn't want to be singled out as like, oh, this is a female-fronted band. No, it's just a rock band, and I happen to be a woman, you know? And that was really all there was to it for me. But there were some obvious delineations to, you know, who liked us and who didn't, you know? Because a lot of emo is about a guy's broken heart yeah you know and so here i was a woman singing about my broken heart and i hope i hope that guys can still relate to that maybe they weren't able to relate to it as well um i don't know but it was important to me to do it and i think that i was really shy and if i hadn't started playing music there's no way i would be where i am right now you know in this room talking to you (laughs) actually i'm serious (laughs) so you know, I mean, we did it on a lot smaller scale, but it was, it was really important to us and it was very precious and, yeah. you know, and so, I mean, now looking back at it, you're like, oh, it was only like a year and a half, but it was, it was so great. I mean, yeah. sometimes there are those, those are some bands that have a few releases and then they live on. Mm-hmm. I mean, a funny, obviously American football, I know Mike did a ton of stuff after, but that band wasn't around for that long. They played 12 shows. They played more as a as a their second iteration than their first, so yeah. things can happen like that, which yeah. I think is great about the internet coming up at this time too. That mm-hmm. it wasn't just a forgotten line in yeah. Maximum Rock and Roll. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it had a little extra life to it. Yeah, yeah. I just lost my train of thought. I was going to say, oh, about where we're located, being in Tampa. You know, for uh, Midwest emo bands, like they could do a weekend tour. And go a lot farther than we could because it takes us eight hours just to get, to get out. out. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, we, we, um, like Hot Water said to us, let's just do weekend jaunts. Let's just go out. And they did it. And I don't know. We were dumb. We just didn't have any momentum or sense of urgency. And we were like, uh, no, I don't think we're going to do that. And we should have. I mean, looking back now, hindsight, yeah. you know, hindsight's done the ride to Atlanta yeah. or got up to South Carolina <laughs> yeah, and back. Exactly. Just done, you know, like, the Carolinas, Tennessee, all that. But I did think Hot Water when I was in school. They were there like every other month. They to- they tore their asses off, and that's really, I mean, we were we had peers, and then everybody just and we stayed right here. Yeah. You know, I mean, I I don't want to say that 
we stopped doing music period because we were still playing and then we had the label too and I think that the label allowed us to be active and be um and you know be affecting change on a local level you know and really serve as mentors to kids that maybe didn't have the direction you know so that's what we've been doing in the meantime you know and then every once in a while we do a reunion and this last time we had so much fun we're like well why are we not doing this anymore? Mm-hmm. You know, it was just so easy. Oh, that's my husband <laughs> texting me. Not about, <laughs> it's not important, obviously. <laughs> I should turn this off. That's so rude. I put it on. Okay. That's going to go down as the rudest moment in washed up emo podcast history. Oh, no, history. that's been worse. Don't worry. It's <laughs> been worse. What was going on during the band otherwise? Like, did you have did you have another job? Were you, you know, was it school? Like, what other things were... I was in school. College? Uh-huh. I was at USF. Yeah. Um, Matt was not in school. We're all... We were all two years older than each other. So, 20, 22, 24, 26. Me and Brad were in school in college, but Matt and Keith were working at the Stone Lounge or, like... Retail jobs, you know, just 20-something Gen Xers, you know, just wasting time, basically, you know, and then playing (laughs) in a band. Um, But, I mean, I never wanted to go to school. My parents said, you know, because we were probably, I would say, middle to lower middle class. And my parents really sacrificed a lot to put my sister and I through college. And they said, you know, they gave me the whole something to fall back on speech. Yeah. And I felt like I owed it to them to do that. And I didn't feel like I, I think I was too afraid to just drop it and say, nope, this is what I want to do, you know? And, you know, Pogo broke up and then this other band formed, which was basically Pogo, but with a different bass player. I mentioned that already. Mm -hmm. And we were about to sign to Tree Records and he wanted us to tour six months out of the year because he was, it was when he was trying to, he had a very, you know, he did a very, very brief stint yeah. with Tree Records. But he was also going to try artist management along with signing us. And we were about to do that. That's why Keith and I picked our wedding date based on when we were going to tour. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And um, then the band broke up. And, you know, some some band members were going through some personal problems. And right around that time was when I had my first relapse. And then everything just kind of came to a halt for a while. You know? Yeah. Um, but I wanted to, you know, I mean, but school was a definite, it was a, it was a, it was a deterrent, you know, oh, to doing yeah. it full time. What was the relapse again? I have MS. Did, when did you know that? October of 2001. Um, the, well, I was diagnosed in October of 2001. I had symptoms for about two years before that. Um, and. Were you done school at the time? I was, I was, yeah, it was the. Like, it was my senior year when I first started having, like, I have, like, a little flutter in my eye that's never gone away, and I just thought it was stress or whatever, and then I graduated in December of 99, and we got married in August of 2000, and three days before our wedding, I started having double vision, and I thought it was just nerves. I remember very specifically, because I was driving with my mom to get our wedding dress, to get my wedding dress, our wedding dress. (laughs) She wasn't wearing it, too. It was just me. Um... Maybe and you could have been sharing it. It's yeah. Fine. <laughs> yeah. I did try her dress on. It didn't fit. It was too small. She's a little teeny. She's a little teenier than I was. But um, we still, 
I had double vision for three months, did all the neurologist tests, all of that, went through a period where I couldn't play guitar, I couldn't make chords, my, the pick would just fall out of my hand, um, like I just had no control, and I was finally diagnosed just a year after our wedding, um, and there was a good probably like three or four years when I didn't play at all, just because I was trying to get a handle on everything, yeah. you know, um, and it's been pretty aggressive, you know, but things are stable now and that's why we're making music again and yeah. it's really fun and, you know, I have three burly dudes to carry me around basically is what it boils down to. So that's how we make it work. Um, well, just explain. So what, so what happens? Is that the motor skills? Well, MS is, it's an autoimmune disease and it attacks your central nervous system. So it can affect any facet of your body function. So vision, speech, hearing, bladder, walking, dexterity, anything. anything. Like I have, I have some, I'm not good with buttons or earring backs. I'm kind of ham fisted when I play. Um, and obviously my legs don't really work anymore because what happens is your body attacks your central nervous system and um it forms scar tissue over the basically the conductor the wire that's going from your brain to whatever part of your body and that interrupts the signal so like i'll go to the gym and do strength training and get muscle tone but there's no communication so my you know my brain's not telling my legs so my legs are just like you know, <laughs> I'm just chilling. Yeah. So, yeah, it's been, it was pretty rough for the first six or seven years. Like I went from, I was able-bodied to a cane within the first year. Wow. And then, um, yeah. And my neurologist said that all of my, the majority of my lesions are on my, um, my brainstem, which he calls the gateway. <laughs> He's like, yeah, that's not good. <laughs> so, um, a lot of adapting and, a lot of drugs, a lot of different treatments that we've tried, and some of them worked. Most of them didn't. Um, That's always a thing. It's like you're trying one thing, but then it affects this other one that you other take. You, it's like that kind of game mm-hmm. where not a game, but you're no, figuring it's out when. Yeah, it's totally a game. Yeah, you're just like okay, these are the cards I've been dealt, <laughs> you know. And then I got some really amazing songs out of it, you know. Yeah, it's a great. I mean, that music has saved me because that's how I work all this shit out, you know, cause it can get really dark. Um, and I don't know if people realize it cause they see me just kind of floating around on my scooter and they don't see us in the house and like me getting around day to day. Um, and then they see Keith will just carry me on stage and drop me in from the microphone, you know, in my chair and, and I'm just floating around on my scooter. It's different. You know, it's, it's, it's a lot more complicated than that. Um, but at this point it's just a part of the way things are you know and you just have to plan ahead of time and make sure you can get around and you know like when we went to magpie there were three steps to the bathroom wow but i didn't care i told i told keith i said you can carry me around in a backpack like yoda i'm going up there we're gonna make this happen we're gonna make this record and i made it work you know that's what you do you just adapt that's all you can do you know Mm -hmm. bad things happen all the time doesn't doesn't mean you can't keep going you know and yeah. it's not because i hate it when people say oh your situation is so much worse no dude it's all relative you know you know everyone's had tragedy in their lives and you can either just be eeyore and not 
do anything or you can try and make something positive out of it yeah you know and that's that's why i'm that's why we're playing music you know no i think the music part is like a cool bind because you have that connection with them and it doesn't matter yeah yeah we have this we have a weird language too because we've been playing together for so long you know like trying to write songs with someone else right now and it's totally different you know we just have this language giant pain yeah she's so annoying and just the worst sounds like she's in the room i know um but she's in the room yeah she's in the room she's my friend we're cool i'm not talking shit um yeah so it's it's a nice distract distraction it's kind of a function of survival music at this point, you know? So I mean, wasn't that at it, early age? Just was. to be like, this thing that doesn't actually matter mattered at that moment. Everything mattered. So everything was so <laughs> precious when I was a kid, when I was a teenager. <laughs> like, I listened to those songs, and I'm like, really, Susie? Really? <laughs> Which one? Which All one? of them. Do Especially, a line from one of them. <laughs> oh, God. Well, I mean, let's we can talk about Friend X, because... <laughs> I uh, was in a band, and then Kobe, the first singer, quit, and um, I was so jealous of Pogo, because they were so popular, and I really, really hated them, and I even, we recorded like a two-track live to ADAT at a studio, it was a really expensive studio, that was the cheapest rate we could afford, so, (laughs) the name of the song, it's on the recording, I actually say, the song's about Pogo, because they suck. That's amazing. <laughs> and Keith heard this. I mean, he didn't even know about it, and he heard it probably five years ago, and he was like, man, if I had heard that, I wouldn't have asked you to be in my band. <laughs> so, yeah. So they qu- she quit, and they were supposed to go on, on Christmas tour, and then um, they got back from their trip because they were like, well, fuck it. We don't have a band, but we can at least go on tour, you know? I mean, on, on a trip. Yeah. And they decided to ask me, and that was pretty much it i like that um it was it just everything was just so easy you know and then obviously that's how i met my husband and we've been married for almost 18 years so wow (sighs) yeah it's kind of crazy 2000 (sighs) it's easy keep track of their anniversary though because there's no math involved yeah i was i was talking to those interns i was telling you before we went on and I was like staring at them. And you know, when you think about things as you're talking mm-hmm. while still talking, mm-hmm. I just kept looking out being like, they were born and I was already here yeah. or they were born after nine yeah. 11 or like all those kind of things. And I was like, Oh my God, this is cr- yeah. well, probably not nine 11, but like around, like they don't remember that. Yeah. And it just was like, <laughs> and I know, I know you probably talk about this with every band that toured in the nineties, but touring now is such a completely different animal. You know, like we used a dialer to book the tour, book your own fucking life. My parents gave me an analog cell phone with an unretractable antenna. Um, with the anal- you know, totally, Fancy. Yeah. And they said, emergencies only. This is 96. So I called twice. I had, I had to call AAA twice. And that was the one time. I had a phone like that. It was a smaller one, but it was literally, you just turn it on to call if yes. you know, hell's breaking loose. Yeah. And I had a calling card. Yeah. You know? Love the calling card. And uh, we did that a lot. And... Had some quarters for the machine, for the phone booth. Yes, lots of Taco Bell. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, there was a. I don't know if this actually exists, but I've been told that there's a book of 
tour secrets of ways to like do things you know like get stuff for free like we used to play i never played it but but they played the coke game as a way to get cokes i know my my mic is sinking i'm sorry um don't apologize but it was and and they did the freaking stuff before it was called freegans because they were poor they would just go up to a bag in the dumpster you know and if it was warm (laughs) that's how we ate on tour yeah you you didn't have any money no i think i think my budget my personal budget was five dollars a day for food wow and that was it it's a lot of crappy food (laughs) yeah taco bell pretty much that's it (laughs) when you were when when pogo ended when you were you know working were what stuff were you doing music wise was it you know was it all the time or was it you know when the band ended like when you were still you were still making music correct Yeah. yeah how was that balance between like work stuff and i just i mean i found that i I've never felt like it was something I've had to do. I just felt like it's something that just happened. It just comes out, you know. So I'll just sit down and the song will come out. So it was never really a matter of finding the time to do it. It was just I need to write about this, you know, and then I would write. And then what what happened was one of our very good friends was in a plane crash. It was Swissier Flight 111. It was 1998 and he died in a plane crash. And I had been writing songs, and I went into the bathroom at my parents' house, and I took a boombox, and I recorded the songs, just demos, and I gave them to Keith. And then we all decided to start playing again because it was really present, and we were all grieving, and it was important to us. And that's how we got back into a band again. What year was that? 98. So it wasn't it wasn't super long after we broke up, um, and then that was really quiet. We put out an EP. It was really quiet and like introspective and stuff. And then we just couldn't help it. We just got back to the rock, you know. Like yeah, we we put out a split with this band from Detroit called Call It in the Air, and one of the guys is in like um, what is it, Dale Earnhardt Jr. Jr. Which I think they just changed their name again. Oh, did they? I think so. Yeah. We can look um, it up. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, and then we just did a really brief tour and then everything fell apart and then I got sick and then I kept, I mean, I've always been writing and we put out a record in 2012 of our band, a band that we do that we did for a long time that we're still doing. Um, and I don't know if you remember this band from the nineties and the early two thousands from, um, lookout called the Washdown. Mm-mm. Okay, the guitarist is in that band, and then our bass player Brian, who's also in Pogo, he was in Hank Shaw. They were on Doghouse, mm-hmm. um, and they toured with Joshua. I mean, like we go deep. <laughs> we yeah. have like really, really, really old connections. Um, but we did that. Um, and did there uh, was Dan some... from Joshua do any stuff with your records he mastered it i figured he mastered it he didn't we didn't know that it was dan from joshua oh you didn't no jay jay was like send your record oh yeah i'm just casually imagining you know you you usually can on this podcast people know if you say jay Jay. you know (laughs) it's not jay leno we we said something if we told a friend of ours that we were going to make a record with jay robinson he always said was of course you are like duh i know he looked up his bands on is this band emo Mm -hmm. and uh, i was like super nervous i was like was he mad He's great, but yeah. he, that's another short, but, um, yeah, he said, this guy does a great job and he'll give you 
my rate, you know? So you're like, awesome. And I didn't realize that he's friends with Chris Hansen from Matt Pond because they, they're old friends. They live in, they all live in upstate New York. And he um, didn't realize who we were. And then Jay started sending him the mixes. And he said, he actually, he messaged us. He's like, I'm chopping at the bit. I can't wait to master these. And I didn't realize it was, it was Brian from Hank Shaw. And I'm just giving you the extra effort because I want this to sound really good. Nice. And I mean, we're super happy with it. The record is a perfect bookend to what we did a long time ago. Yeah. But it's great to see those sort of, you know, people move on and do other things yeah. and magically Dan and his yeah. mastering studio that everybody uses. And so we're still, yeah, it's cool to see people still in it and it doesn't have to be, you know, on the level of an American football, you know, just touring and, you know, having that kind of, you know, really broad recognition we don't you know nobody knows no who i we would are. say no i would say the reason why i i think i got into this stuff was it wasn't the most popular things and they were but it was like a connection yes. between people mm-hmm. and music and i'm just as excited to talk to you and your story just as mike kinsella because because we all have both, shared experiences they're all the yeah. same things and it just I know I if these band if they never got big mm-hmm. if it was only this little niche thing I'd still be doing this yeah yeah and I think you'd you're still making music it isn't just oh wait that's the sound I need to make yeah let me go do that that wasn't it it just it wasn't yeah. it was more about the community and people 100% and and when we do this you know we're doing this record label I know that is for a lot of scenes but it just for, it was so like there wasn't money either no it wasn't like there's the promised land at the end no and <laughs> You know, and Taco Bell and yeah, in Taco Bell land. <laughs> yeah. I have friends who are younger, you know, in their late twenties, early thirties. And they're like, you were in Pogo. Yeah. Did you know so-and-so? Yeah. But it, it wasn't a big deal. You yeah. Know? Um, and you and, weren't, it wasn't like you were texting with Davey from the promise ring. No, but we were pen pals. You were pen pals. <laughs> yes. With, and that took yeah. time. Yeah. It, it, legit pen pals, you know, um, do you have any of those in uh under my bed then you need to we i need those (laughs) that's private it wasn't like that kind of i'm not gonna make it public it's just for the museum (laughs) you know i'm working on a museum you should totally have a museum i'm dead serious i have one there's a digital it's a a digital digital. museum oh are you gonna do some well i live in new york where would you like me to do that are you gonna have a madam tiso of my kinsella (laughs) (laughs) i think you should totally do that and in one of in one of Kate's too, yeah. All right, great. It's in Kate Wax from Rainer Maria's yeah. barn. That's where it is now. Mm-hmm. So now you need to give it to me. I was okay. <laughs> it was the best. Um, it, you're right. It was it was 100 percent about community, and and that's what we've tried to continue to do with the label. Um, on a local level, we've never seen any profit from it. You know, we run very small pressings. We haven't done more than a thousand. I think we've done like maybe two or 3,000 for a record that did really well. But all the money we make from it, we put back into bands. Um, we lost distro a couple of years ago. We got screwed over. The distro company declared bankruptcy, and Which we one? lost Nail. Oh, right. We lost all of our product, and they said you can buy it back at a dollar a piece. What? And then they owed us 7000 Well, No, maybe I'm wrong, wrong about I think they owed us like 7000 including product and back pay. But And that was all poof. Wow. Yeah, we lost it. And 
there are a few other labels that like tiny bedroom labels like us that that got the boot you know and we've just kind of been untethered for a while because we don't have the distro um but i mean there's still a lot of scenes thriving you know and there's even a a, re- a revival kind of happening in tampa too you know there are like a couple of what bands. like just bands and yeah. labels yeah there's like well i wouldn't say with labels but with there's a couple of of definitely emo revival sounding i think i tagged you in in one there was a there's a band called blacksmith and there's another band called i think it's old bones but they have the same that same feel you know and it just it feels like home you know you're like you're watching these bands play these new songs and you're like i was there yeah 20 years ago and it's 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 still gonna happen yeah yeah it's good to know that the community is still there you know and you know Here's here's what it boils down to, and this is this is this is on the record. I don't know how other women feel about it. From my perspective, I just wanted to fit in, you know. And the last thing I wanted to be was singled out because I was self conscious, and I just wanted to felt I just wanted to be somewhere where I felt like I belonged. And I never got any judgment from the people that I was playing. Unless it was constructive, you know, but it was never like a, oh, you can't do that because you're a girl. I mean, outside of, of my group of friends, I was treated that way by like sound guys and, you know, other bands and stuff like that. But I never felt threatened or less than or anything in the circle of friends that I had, you know. So when you ask me that question, I think that it's true that women aren't represented. But if you want to know from a personal level, that's just how I personally feel about it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's no wrong answer. <laughs> no wrong answer. There's also no like three minute sound bite either. You know, know. it can be long. It can well, be. My husband is very articulate and sometimes I get a little tongue tied and I just feel like he'd be giving a way better interview than me. But and then I'm like, I'm a 40 year old woman. I don't need my husband to give me interview notes. I can do this interview myself. <laughs> and then I'm like, <laughs> no, you're perfect. So, um, what, what, what is next? <sighs> I know, I know what you're doing in this room, but what else? Well, we're currently shopping the record. Cool. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Not fun. We're old and I'm a woman and I'm in a scooter. And I think that that just, makes us a lot less attractive, you know? Like, I was talking to someone who I've been fortunate enough to have a relationship with who was in the early indie rock scene, like in the 90s, and now he's moved on to be president of a Nashville record label. Um, And he said to me, you know, don't feel bad. If there's not a fight these days for a record it's hard to get signed, you know? And he's like, just do it because you love it. And then I was like, fuck yeah, Why, who, who do I need validation from? I'm doing this because it makes me happy, you know, and it's a good outlet. And you can press it, one button and it's everywhere. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of amazing. So I think that we're working on the details right now and there's definitely plans for tour. Cool. Um, 
it's going to be more complicated, but that's okay. It's important. So we'll make it work, you know? Um, and we'd like to go overseas maybe in the fall. Um, where exactly? I'm not sure yet, but at this point in our lives, we're like, if we have the opportunity to do it, let's do it, you know? Cause then we might not be able to do it. Cause you know, Keith's going to be 47 in October. I'm 40, you know, we're, we're not young little spring chickens anymore. Yeah. So we should just do it now. Totally. <laughs> too old. So, and, and if people respond to it, awesome. If not, that's cool too. You know, we found like the internet has given us a lot more idea of the impact that we've had because we found, um, there was this, this like cover series of this, this um, cover band in Japan called Beat Pops. I love those guys. Yeah, they did a pogo set. And I remember watching it like four, three or four years ago, just covered in goosebumps. Like, holy shit, that's something I did when I was 19. And it's on the other side of the world. And someone's actually taken the time to learn something that I wrote and poured my heart into. And it's just so humbling, you know, and just amazing. And we saw someone, a video, someone in russia did a cover someone did in brazil did a cover and it's like it's really cool you know you see it kind of finally boomerang back around and it's it's satisfying but it's also hard when you know you make something that you're proud of and you're excited about and we're getting feedback really great feedback but you know i think we'll probably just wind up putting it on ourselves and that's fine yeah. you know because the, the experience was more important than anything else because that week in the studio, oh my God, dream come true. Yeah. It was great. Um, did I tell you that I cried on the way home because I was no. so happy? <laughs> I, I, you know, I haven't done that very... Happy tears are very rare for me. I cry easy, but usually it's because I'm just <laughs> miserable. But <sighs> we got in the car and cool. he gave us the rough mixes and we were on the way home just like, Got to listen to it in the car, which is where everyone mm-hmm. listens to it yeah, for the first time. Yeah, have to do the car test. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he couldn't start doing the mixes for about six weeks. So, and then you just listen to it and you pick it apart and you hate everything. And then maybe you go back to it later on and don't hate it so much. Yeah. But this is something I've actually been really proud of for the first time. Like, yeah, it's not perfect, but it's genuine and we were prepared and we practiced for like three months, you know, and we got ready for it and we banged it out in a week. We did all the tracking um, and it was this crazy whirlwind fever dream, you know, and it was amazing. Um, so that experience alone is worth whatever comes from it, you know. So more so, music, not more stopping. Please. No, no, I, I'm going to play until I can't play anymore. It's too important to me. It's a, like I said, it's a function of survival for me, you know. Um, I think that does. I think that there's little things like when you hear about people having Alzheimer's or things or dementia, but music brings them back to those moments. And yeah. I think I think it does somehow in your body push mm-hmm. back. If your body's fighting you now, I still think music somehow makes it slow down or pushes mm-hmm. it back. Yeah. And you can have a lot of cognitive problems with MS. Um memory problems problems finding words and i think that the music excuse me the repetition the math memory you know forcing myself to 
it's basically a word game, you know, yeah. trying to find words that fit into, you know, the cadence of, of the words that I've chosen and, and voicing, make sure it sounds right. You know, it's a challenge. And I think that that's helped keep me so on top of things. Because if know? it was just laying at home, watching TV, your kind of mind goes to mush. No. And, and I think that I have said, I've actually used this in a job interview once and it didn't go well. <laughs> <laughs> but to be fair, in that same interview, I said leadership instead of leadership. You were like at the movie Step Brothers. It was awful. Yeah. And she, the <laughs> lady interviewing me was very severe and she had like straight black hair and bangs and like bold lip. And she was just like straight face the whole time. And I was trying to smile and she was just not into it. Okay. So what were we talking about? We were talking about... Um, Your interview. What you said interview. in the interview. I talk about how the... F- you know, having MS, but starting out in this DIY scene, you know, like when I was 17, my punk pop band, you know, pop punk band put out a record. We were NG3, we were New Granada 3. You know, we went to the studio and we recorded it and we put it out ourselves and we found the resources. And I think that that has really informed the way I've chosen to deal with this diagnosis because I'm not taking someone at their word. And if I don't like what they say, I'll find, I'll find more information, you know. And I've done some experimental things that maybe weren't that smart, but I've been lucky, you know. But I'm not going to stop. And I think that that just, you know, not waiting for someone to do it for you and just doing it yourself, literally, has been really, really helpful for me um, in the way I choose to approach that you know situation um i'm pointing to my scooter you guys um and it's it's really been the best thing that's ever happened to me you know hands down it's brought me to everything that i am right now so it's super important to me i don't think i will ever stop if i can help it you know good so yeah anything else you want to say uh, what else did I forget? What else did you? I don't know. It's okay. If I have, do I have anything to say? <laughs> I think you did I feel great. Like I said a lot. You did great. Um, no, I mean, I'm just thankful to be included, and I'm glad that we got to chat because this is a really important part of my life, you know. So I'm glad that we got to talk about it. Whether or not it was completely lucid. Yes. It's rambling. You may not put you may not put yourself down anymore on this podcast. (laughs) He said in the studio, he said we were the most excited band, the most self lacerating band he's ever met. I'm like, yeah. It's pretty emo. It's totally emo, you know. We want to do our best, but then we just flood ourselves. (laughs) No, no, I haven't lost touch. Okay, good. I'm good. No, no questions. All set. Okay. Thanks. Thank you. Good job.